partners, and welcome to the Sense and Theory episode on guns. Man, We're going to have a rootin' tootin' what, what, what? Honestly, if it's between that and the news voice, I would much rather the news voice. <laughs> see, see, I know how to get what I want. Uh, anyway, hey, welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast. I'm Theory. And I'm Sense. And we did it backwards, so keep track, suckers. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be talking about a topic that is really hot in the news right now, especially in light of the, uh, you know, the incident in Las Vegas, and that is guns. No, no, no. For real, though, I think it's important that we start off this discussion by establishing some baselines. I mean... You've got one side of the conversation that's totally anti-gun, hates guns. Uh, they, they, that, that means most of them don't really know much about guns. Mm-hmm. On the other side, you've got people who grew up with guns, love guns, um, and and want to see a gun e- everywhere. Yeah. And, well, and then I think you've got a, you've got people like me who are in the middle. I, I believe that um, you know I, I want people to have guns. I believe in the Second Amendment. Um, you know, I'm not saying I want to hand guns out to people, but if somebody wants a gun, you know, they're, they're more than welcome to go get one. Um, but personally, I hate guns. I don't like to be around them. Uh, I, I'm telling you right now, I get nervous if there's a gun in the room. I do not want to be an after school special, uh, you know, and, and here we are playing with a loaded gun or something right. like that. I just know, man, like I don't, I don't like that shit. But, uh, but yeah, but no, but I, at the same time, I totally want, uh, you know, Americans to have the freedom to go and buy guns. So like I'm in the middle and I find nowhere on either side uh, for me to go because everybody's so entrenched. You've either you on one side, like you said, you've got people that just want to hand guns to every single person. And then on the other side, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they're, they're asking for a gun ban, uh, you know, uh, yeah. no guns for anybody. So and um, we'll talk about that a little later. Yeah. Um, people swear up and down. That's not the case. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't want to ban guns, but I I think the truth is is more towards more or less total gun ban. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's uh it's important. I mean, like guns uh guns are essential uh to America. I it's mean, part you, of our culture. You, yeah, it's part it's a, of it's a rebel culture, man. Yeah. There's this vein uh this cultural vein that travels through our past of of rebellion and 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 guns are a big part of that from the Wild West. Uh you got Davy Crockett, the frontiersman. I mean, the you know it's just it's who we are like pushing out exploring you know you got a rifle in your hand and stuff and and we uh as a country we came up different than you know a lot of other places and stuff and it's just owning a gun is is almost like a a birthright that's right and there are a lot of guns in america there are a (laughs) ton of guns in america to support that thesis there are 300 there the the idea the the estimate is there are 310 million guns in That's America. That's as many guns as people. Yes. The population is, of America is estimated at 320 million. Yeah, so that That's is a almost gun a gun for every. for every man, woman, and child. Like, right. let's let's give the baby a new Glock. Yeah. We and, got and, enough. And we are by far and away, uh, looking at the rest of the world, like uh, uh, guns per 100 residents, we are number one, uh, followed by Serbia uh, in number two spot, who has roughly half of the amount of guns <laughs> per, per hundred residents that followed we have. by so, like Yemen. I think Iraq is in the top 10 with like yeah. a third as many guns as, as we have. So we are, we are some root and tootin' gun owners for yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, we, we love our guns and, and we use them, yeah. but not always for criminal purposes. I mean, I think, uh, lots of people shoot skeet. They mm-hmm. do competition shooting. Lots of people hunting. Yeah, uh, yeah obviously hunting. Yeah. Uh, lots of people just collect them and have yeah. them sit at their house. Uh, maybe they go to the range once a year, but uh, 
I believe, and I think you've got some numbers to back us up here, um, most guns are not involved in any sort of criminal activity. Well, if you look at, okay, so we, we took some numbers from like the CDC and the National Academies, and we added up uh, the number of shootings per year. And this is the number of shootings per year, uh, fatal, non-fatal, suicides. This is all the shootings, uh, you know, per year. And there are 107,000 in the U.S. every year. So if you assume that each of those incidents were committed with a unique gun. Which is absolutely not the case. That's not the case. You're going to have, you're going to have uh, murders where multiple people were shot, you know, shooting, you know, non-fatal shootings where multiple people were shot. But, but let's just, for the sake of argument, assume all 107,000 were committed with a unique gun. That is 0.00034% of total guns in the United States. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're talking about such a small An infinitesimally yeah. small amount of guns used in shootings. So why punish all the guns for for point zero zero three four? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's 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 almost I mean it's, I'm not saying it's not negligible. Obviously anybody who gets shot is gonna have strong opinions on it. <laughs> right. You know, right. I mean there there are issues, but at the same time, I mean we're still talking about two hundred and or I'm sorry three hundred nine million nine hundred and ninety nine thousand. You know right. we're talking the vast majority of guns. Uh, you know people are owning them and doing what they will with them. I don't care what they're doing with. You know right. I mean honestly because it's your right as an American to own them. You absolutely, know what I mean? so. absolutely. And I think I think we also have to talk about uh, the defensive uses for guns because there is an argument on the far left that I hear repeated on Facebook, I hear it repeated on Twitter, I see it uh, all over the place. People say, you know, you're not you're not John Rambo. You're not yeah. Chuck Norris. Like, you're not going to fight off an attacker when an attacker comes. But people have looked into these numbers, and, and defensive gun use in America is very, very high. Um, at the very low-end estimates, these are very conservative estimates, uh, you've got numbers like 55,000 to 80,000 incidents per year. Um, at the top end, you've got estimates of like 4.7 million. And I mean, you got those are, those are incidents where, you know, either it's, it's not just incidents where the person had to fire the gun to defend themselves. Like they were able to brandish. The that's right. That's right. In a lot of cases, a defensive gun just has, the presence just has to be known. For example, right. you walk into a, a, a convenience store trying to rob it mm-hmm. and the clerk raises a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And and the robber runs away. That's that's defensive gun use, and that's one of the things that makes it very hard to estimate um, exactly where that number lies. But I know you found some numbers that were even higher than the four point seven million that I found at the top end. Yeah, it's well, it's all it's all about methodology. I mean, there was there was one study that uh, tried to get a total number by uh, they they were actually doing a study on on incidents on cr- you know crime incidents. And they asked over the course of this incident, did you do anything to prevent it? And then they used that number, extrapolated, and said that's how many defensive gun uses there were. Now, that was at the low end. Uh, I think they come up with there's 15,000 a year. At the high end is a guy who just cold called people. And he said to, you know, have you ever used a gun defensively? Right. How many times? You know, so, so you have all these different methodologies, and it's really hard to pin down uh, you know, a reliable number, uh, an absolute number. But it seems that if you look at the breadth of the studies, you end up somewhere, like you said, between 55,000 and, and 4 million. And, uh, and that's a huge, that's a huge discrepancy. And I, I like to, I like to think that 
we could meet somewhere in the middle. But heck, let's take it at the at the high end of the low estimates. So the low yeah. estimates are um, fifty five to eighty thousand, and yeah. eighty thousand is much less than four point seven million. I mean, we're not even yeah. the same ballpark still. Um, but if you if you look at eighty thousand defensive gun uses versus the hundred and seven thousand shootings right. per year, like those are almost on par. Yeah, and yeah. and I think we have to consider that when we're talking about gun regulation, um, people protecting themselves happens almost as much as people hurting each yeah. other, and possibly far more. No, I think I think it's very true, and I think also uh, kind of calling back to our last episode, you you most certainly hear about it less. There was an incident uh, not too long ago where a, uh, a guy went up in a church in Tennessee and started shooting people. And there was a, a guy there who had responsibly left his gun in his truck in the parking lot, went out, uh, got the gun, came back in, put the shooter down. Wow. And, and saved lives. And didn't shoot anyone in the church, right? And, I mean, didn't, right. didn't no, hit no, any no. bystanders. Yeah, or, no, no. Which is, in, which is another big assailant. argument is that, oh, uh, you're not even trained and, you know, you can't, you can't hit the broadside of a barn. You're going to shoot some kid while you're trying to stop the shooter. Or you won't even be able to tell who he is. No. Um, you know, and, and yeah. really these are... These are kind of ridiculous arguments because the truth is this stuff happens. I mean, I remember, I, I did not read past the headline, but didn't a nine-year-old girl just kill a burglar with, with a, yeah, actually, a shotgun? Yeah, yeah, no, I think it happened uh, uh, just a week or two ago. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. Imagine imagine being a nine-year-old girl. And I, and I hate to get sensational here, but, yeah. um, you know, both sides do it. But but this is, this is for real. Imagine being a nine-year-old girl. Someone kicks in your door, crawls in your window, and... And who knows? They're coming to take you. They're coming to rape you. They're coming. Whatever they're coming to do, this girl was strong enough and and knew enough and was taught enough to go defend herself. Yeah. yeah. And stop it from happening. I mean, to me, there is there is one of side. those little girls. There is a flip side. You do you do have instances where you know a nine year old kid gets a hold of a gun and accidentally shoots his friend. Absolutely. Absolutely happens. No but question. The question is the question is. Where, how do you find a balance to go with You the also have children that fall into swimming pools. Exactly. exactly. Every year. And let me tell you, man, we're not, we're not screaming about swimming pool regulation. And no one's saying, well, swimming pools aren't necessary. And they're yeah. not. Swimming yeah. pools are not necessary. They're well, just I, for I think, fun. I think the point is, is like, it's, not, it's not about saying that, that you know, nine, nine-year-old girls are either out there uh, recklessly killing their friends or protecting their neighborhoods from violence. It's about... Can we take a balanced approach? Because there are examples of both. You know what I mean? Like, like the the, the oh Lord, I hope so. And the extremism uh, that we see hold up both of these instances as definitive of the whole. You know what I mean? And like, no man, it's 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 right down the middle. The truth yeah. is right down the middle. And I and I think that's when we were preparing for this episode. I think we tried really hard to to really find what's what's actually going on yeah because it's easy to listen to one side and go oh yeah yeah i agree with that you know it tugs it tugs all the right strings and and pulls me in the right place well i I think that's the thing is that this issue is uh it's very capable of grabbing those emotional strings and and it starts to pull you and 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 it gets you it gets you swept up i mean you you've got issues you got people you know who are afraid uh you got people who just want to protect their families and stuff like this Another issue that we've we've only kind of tangentially touched on is uh, the whole aspect of us as Americans uh, wanting the ability to defend ourselves from tyranny. 
Um, this, this <laughs> but is that would never happen, right? I mean, that that's and, and you know I've seen this argument uh, here recently, um, and, and it's driving me nuts. You know, people are just like, well, well what do you expect to do uh, against the might? Of the the uh, the army, with right? The they've drones got helicopters and, and, and whatnot, and and I, I think I think it's just it's it's crap. It's man. ridiculous. Let's look at Afghanistan. Uh, let's uh, let's look at any of the numerous incidents. Let's look at Vietnam. Vietnam. <laughs> let's you know what I mean. I mean, there are so many uh, instances, and in, in this argument that says that oh, you know, you're crazy nuts with with tinfoil on your heads. I, I spent a third of my life expecting. Uh, armed resistance against the government to pop off any day. All right, I, I've thought about this. Well, quite and let's a bit. be honest. The the left has been screaming it at the top of their lungs. A small portion of the left, but but some pretty highfalutin people have yeah. been talking about it. Uh, I mean, Hitler. I mean, I, I'm sorry, Donald Trump. Exactly. <laughs> pardon me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Was like, was painted as Hitler. Yeah. Um, in the run up and, and following this election, and and I felt like people were saying. At any moment, he may turn the military against us. I mean, right, right. and we may have to fight him. Well, left, yeah. what are you going to fight him what with? What are you going to fight him with? You if know? we take the assault rifles, like, like yeah, AK-47s work because, you know, they're AK-47s. That's what they're, let's be honest, assault yeah. rifles are designed designed for assault. Absolutely. If if we're left with with small caliber... Yeah, with, <laughs> you know, with, with little rinky-dink, uh, you know, hang, 22s and stuff like then that. Then fighting yeah. a tyrannical government is totally off the yeah. table. So I, th- yeah. I think we have to be honest um, that a lot of pro-gun support is based in that, call it a fantasy it, it if you want. It absolutely is. I, I mean, I don't know. You uh, I, See, I take issue with that. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, a lot of people want to say that it's it, it goes back to, like you were saying, with defensive gun use, this Rambo fantasy. Right. However, uh, the people of 1930s Germany do not consider it a fantasy. We are, we are 70 years removed from Nazi Germany. It That's is right. not some distant thing. The idea that that tyranny can't take root, especially with some like you said, with somebody in the White House right now that that we're all kind of on edge is going to start, you know, willy-nilly saying uh, you know, brown people can't live here anymore and Bang stuff around. like that. Like at and what when that moment happens, <laughs> what are we, you know, what are what you going to do? do? And then, and then I saw, and I'm gonna call him out by name, uh, Michael Shermer, who is the editor of Skeptic Magazine. Uh, he he dropped a tweet there, uh, you know, a while back, and he was basically saying that, like, you know, what the, these people, these kooks, uh, think that they're gonna stand up to the U.S. military and stuff. There are so many variables, right? There, in the event that something like that happens, uh, you have a, a tyrannical government. Uh, you have something like Nazi Germany starting to take effect. The idea that we're talking about uh, freedmen militias from Nebraska and, and Montana standing on the field of battle with the full weight and might of the United States Army. No, dude, you, you're probably going to have police departments defect, you know. That's right. Uh, the Army defect. So, so, no, it's not an unreasonable scenario to say, hey, I want to have these guns just in case. And I've noticed that a lot of play, a lot of people that I've talked to uh, on the Internet, and granted that's anecdotal, but, you know, people from England and Australia and stuff, that that's one thing that they don't get about us is that we were founded on that right of saying that this is unacceptable and we are going to protect ourselves and tell you how that we're that's you know, right. how we're going to live and and I think you if you take that away from us that's 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 a fundamental component of who we are I I agree and and, and, and it's reflected in in our culture every yeah, day I absolutely. mean there's there's no question about it um 
from from Wild West, like we talked about, all the way up to, to modern gangster culture, if yeah. you will. Yeah. Um, or, or the original gangster culture, which was like, you know, Al Capone, which yeah. ironically, um, alcohol prohibition led to America's first flirtation with federally regulating guns. Absolutely. The, uh, the first federal gun, ar- uh, gun act, it was the uh, Federal Firearms Act of 1938, and it was largely a response to the Tommy gun. I, I, think, I think it was two things, really. I think you, A, had all these people trying to deal with the reality of machine guns. Because you got to remember, this is right after World War One, which is the first major war right. to, to the awesome destructive force of machine guns. And then secondly, so they saw all these soldiers coming back with these horrific injuries. And then you had these splashy, uh, all over the newspaper, all over the radio, all over everywhere, stories of these gangsters you know, living life fast and, and outlaws. And they've got the Thompson submachine gun, which was, it was pretty much the weapon of choice. That's right. And so, and shortly thereafter, you see this quick reaction. And, and what birthed that gangster? I mean, prohibition of alcohol. Exactly. Gave rise to that. Yeah. Let's, let's absolutely acknowledge that all that came out of a ban on a certain, you know, a right. certain thing. And, and what happened? The criminal element still had alcohol. everyone wanted alcohol <laughs> yeah it was part of the culture that's what we, we're also fascinated with alcohol here in america alcohol and guns yep. <laughs> not sure they mix well but hey look at the stats maybe they do mix well let's go have a beer and hit the shooting range and maybe you'll love guns afterwards I'm, I'm just saying um my my point is that that now we are flirting with the prohibition of guns mm-hmm. even of certain types and if and if we pretend for a second that criminals won't still get them, yeah. we're fooling ourselves. Because we look at the, the the Federal Firearms Act of 1938, which, which by the way, is still the basis of most of the federal gun laws. Yeah, it was, it was updated in the 60s, but that is the foundation. It is, it is still the foundation. Um, my point is we would, be, we would be foolish to pretend that what didn't work with alcohol would all of a sudden magically now work for guns. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't make sense. And, and if you look at, at the Federal Firearms Act, we, we were looking and, and I, we found that it really had very little effect yeah, on, it, on gun violence. Um, well, it was actually... What, because the criminals still had machine guns. Yeah, well, it, and it seemed like... Um, actually, what you had was you had a bunch of uh, state laws in place. The federal law didn't really come into uh, into being until the mid-30s when uh, Prohibition actually ended in 1933. But historically, when, when historians and sociologists and stuff, when they go back and they look, um, crime rates started to fall dramatically um, in the 30s, and that led all the way through the 50s. But it's not that gun law that, that had any like real strong impact on it. What it actually was was the New Deal programs in conjunction with the end of Prohibition. Uh, you know, as soon as you got rid of Prohibition, I mean, crime, you know, that's that's a whole category of crime that just right. disappeared. The overnight. crime dries up. You, know? you don't, you're not running, you're not running liquor. Yeah. You absolutely. don't have to, you don't have to strong arm people. You don't have to, and you don't have that unregulated uh, mob control mentality of, right. of holding down your market. There's distributors. They go to the stores. People go to the stores to buy it. Yep. Dude's got a gun to protect his store, but everyone knows that and they don't rob him. That's that's the utopian 
the utopian world. Can you can you guys tell I'm gun I'm, I'm a gun person yet? Ha 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 ha. Cue sneaky stealth edit. Yeah, no, that's right. We we've actually we already recorded this segment, uh, but you know we didn't feel like it was up to snuff, and we wanted it to be really uh, informational. So we've come back, sat down. Uh, we're gonna redo it. But we're both congested and sick, so <laughs> there was no sneaky to our sneaky. So, And um, I, I think that, that the main reason we wanted to redo this is because I, I, anyway, feel like there's a big misconception in this country about what the existing gun laws are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's reason for that. I mean, they're confusing, and yeah. they kind of overlap in places, and they've been pieced together um, as, as we've moved through and things have changed. So, um, I don't really know how, how we're going to draw this all together because it's, it's huge. Um, well, let's here, let's, okay. So, so we already mentioned, uh, the federal firearms act of 1934. Well, so they come back 38 in, in uh, I think, I think 34, actually it is 34. Okay. It is all 34. Right. Very, very confusing. <laughs> but, um, uh, I'm supposed no. to have my shit together. But they came back in 1968 and basically, like, updated and overhauled the law, and that's also called the Federal Firearm Act, but it's of 1968. And uh, so what are, what are some of the things that the Federal Firearm Act... Okay, so in 1968, um, we decided to do some common sense things like uh, prevent felons, fugitives, drug users, um, and people who have received a dishonorable discharge uh, from owning firearms, period. Um, like any s- and all firearms. That's right. Um no handguns for people under 18. So long rifles, shotguns, et cetera, all there's okay. A, there's a couple of exceptions, but I mean, it's like, it's, it's very much so like a special permission type of deal. That's right. It, it yeah. set up a federal firearms license for gun dealers. Um, so if you sell guns as a business, um, you have to apply for the license. The federal government has to know who you are. And so that, that point is actually going to be really important here in just a second. But before we touch on that, Let's touch on the other big gun law that's really, you know, federal gun law that's happened in our time, which right. is the Brady Act of 1986. And and the Brady Act is what brought about uh, background checks in the United States. So mm-hmm. um, before that, there there was no way for a dealer to know um, if you were mentally ill, um, if you were a criminal, yeah. um, you know, if you were... The in- onus was on the person, like, if you were one of those people... Or if we found out that you had a gun, like, you know, it was it was kind of, you know, you know you're not allowed to have a gun. If we find out you have a gun, you're in trouble. But now we're going to jump back to the, the point of sale and That's try right. to prevent. So so the Brady Act set up the the, the background check system. And, and these are the things um, that the Brady Act, commonly called the Brady Bill, um, these are the people who are prohibited from from owning, owning firearms, which these are the people who will result in a no answer from the background check. Okay. Um, and, and I think it's a pretty wide net. Uh, I was actually surprised. So if you've been convicted of a crime punished with a one year or greater sentence, no guns. Uh, if you are a fugitive from justice, no guns, uh, an unlawful drug user, no guns. If you've been declared mentally defective or committed to a mental mental institution, no guns. Um, now that's, that's an interesting thing. You know, we, I think we have to talk about there. Mm Mm-hmm is how does the federal government know if someone is uh, mentally defective or have been committed to an institution? Well, it, it pretty much relies on the states reporting to the, uh, the NICS or the, the National Instant Check System. And as I understand, there is no 
requirement for a state to provide that information. Is that no, correct? No, actually, uh, there, there has been an initiative uh, here recently, and uh, I think 16 states have passed state laws uh, requiring that they, you know, they report. Uh, however, there is no federal law. So what you get into is you have uh, the states, uh, like, for instance, Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania doesn't necessarily use the NICS. They use something called the PICS, which is the Pennsylvania Instant Criminal Background Check System. And, uh, but, however, that only has Pennsylvania records in it. So if you've huh. done something in Illinois, they have no way of knowing that. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's the background check system exists, uh, but it's, it's not complete. It, it needs some shoring up. It doesn't have all the records that it should is what it appears. I see. I see. So, so it continues. There, there are more people who are, who are prohibited from owning firearms under the Brady Act, um, illegally aliens, um, anyone who's been dishonorably discharged. And I think we've just seen recently with one of these shootings where this guy should have been flagged for mm-hmm. a dishonorable discharge and the air force dropped the ball yeah. um, and, and did not report that. So there's another, another kind of huge hole with this system. Sounds good. I mean, um, if, although this one's a little weird, if you've renounced your U S citizenship, Hey, that would have kept uh, Oswald from uh, getting the gun that killed Kennedy. There, there you go. Hey. Um, and, and then some really common sense stuff. If you've been convicted of even misdemeanor domestic violence, mm-hmm. no firearms, um, anyone who is the subject of a restraining order, that's for harassment, stalking, I would I would say, to me, that is the only one that I am slightly uncomfortable with because, man, the world of EPOs is sketchy. It's, yeah, days. it's a little sketchy. Yeah. And I, I, I yeah. agree. I mean, yeah. there, there are some questions. If you can convince a judge to give someone an EPO, they, they're no longer... Which, yeah. But, I, I, see, I see the need in so much as I understand there's a domestic violence problem. And, and we want to, and a lot, you know, a lot of times uh, domestic abusers and stuff are repeat offenders. What about, like, I see I, I'm that, pretty sure that but, once that EPO goes away, though, the restriction, it's not like a lifetime ban. So, so if I feel like if you're, if a judge says like, yeah, you're stalking this person, you mm-hmm. have no contact with them. I, you know, I'm on the, on the fence a little bit there. Like, no, you shouldn't no. be able to go buy a, buy a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think, I think the, the takeaway from all this though is that while it may have its its flaws the the, the premise the system is there like it's there. you know that's right. I mean cuz I yeah I mean by and large I have voiced my one concern but by and large that whole list yeah I ain't got a problem with it man I mean yeah absolutely I'm I'm completely cool uh if you that that is you know one of the things you do those things right. you don't get to have a gun and I it's, mean and it's interesting cuz I see a lot the conversation is why aren't you know if this is a mental health issue why aren't we keeping guns out of the hands of mentally ill and i think the answer is like we're we're trying yeah yeah <laughs> but we're not quite there yet like yeah well for instance uh you know i brought up pennsylvania and i read that the problem as far you know the pennsylvania is it's not a lack of desire to it's a uh, it's just a technology issue they're having a hard time like finding a way to submit their stuff in a timely manner you know some right. of these records are old and, and i know. think we got to understand if if we're talking about overhauling background checks across uh across all the states mm-hmm. like there's money involved there yeah. there's there's effort there's time there's mm-hmm. people that have to get together and figure it out and and do it and in today's day and age that's really hard to get i yeah. think you yeah. know a piece of that budget um is not as easy as just waving a magic wand yeah um the other really interesting part of uh, the federal firearms act of 1968 to me um 
is that it actually allows people to get this by machine guns. You you can <laughs> you can buy machine guns. It doesn't exactly allow them to. It actually is more prohibitive um, than it is in in, in, its, in its allowance. So yes, in America you can buy a machine gun. Um, it's not terribly easy mm. to buy a machine gun. Um, you pay a two hundred dollar tax stamp to the federal government. Uh, submit fingerprints, recent photos. These go into the NFA registry. That's the National Firearms Association. Re- no, I Dude, don't know. Dude, I, I, totally, anyway. I totally got this. Like, I'm going to be Rambo like tomorrow. I'm going to get me a machine gun. <laughs> You're going to get this your is machine gonna be great. gun. This is going to be great. ATF Form 4. So you tell the government, the federal government, the, the description of the gun uh, and the serial number of the weapon. So this is something that doesn't happen in existing background checks. Like, when you go buy a gun from a gun store, they do the background check, and it's a simple yes or no they get back. So they, they tell the but FBI. It doesn't involve any of the details. It of doesn't the involve the yes de- no. details of the per- purchase, right? If you, want right. A, if you want a machine gun, however, you tell them exactly what machine gun, what caliber, um, et cetera, et cetera, and, and they keep that. They know who you are now. Well, I don't like the idea of them knowing who I am, but I, I can live with that. Cool. Rambo's still on. Can right. Do this? Okay. So you have to get a signature on that Form 4 that describes the weapon and provides the serial number. Um, and that's that's a law enforcement officer signature, chief of police, county sheriff, or a state or federal judge. You have to actually, uh, in many cases, a face to face. I'm sure a I letter have to go talk may to a suffice. Judge? Yes, and they ha- and you have to explain to them why you want a machine gun, and and they have to deem you of good and acceptable character. You are to own one. You are starting to suck the sexy out of my Rambo fantasy here. No, it's it's okay, man. All right, you you got this. Yeah, no, okay, okay. I can go talk. I'll to, be a character I'll go, witness. Shit, I'll go talk to the sheriff. I got this. I'm gonna um, do this. Rambo a, tomorrow. There's another quick form uh, about your U.S. citizenship. Uh, <sighs> you have to buy it from a Class Three dealer. This is a special type of license. Not every uh, FFL. Uh, can, tell can sell little, class three weapons. So they're a little bit harder to find. That's right. I imagine. <laughs> That's okay. right. All you right. go through the same background check. Um, and, and of course you're, you're in their registry. Now the big catch is that this also established that machine guns manufactured, um, after May 19th, 1986 are not able to be sold uh, or imported for sale in the United States. So what that means is if you want to buy a machine gun now, you are relegated to the pool of machine guns that existed. And by machine gun, maybe I should clarify this. We're talking about the difference between an automatic and a semi-automatic weapon. Right, so right. an automatic, you hold down the trigger and it goes pew, 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 pew. Yeah. A semi-auto, you have to pull the trigger for, for every fire. So, so, so you, this, wait a minute. So I got to, so you tell me I got to, I got to jump through all those hoops do the paperwork to get a what thirty-one year old gun? Yes, you're acting like this is crazy, um, and it's and it's a little crazy, but maybe it's worked. Uh, mm. To my knowledge, there's never been a mass shooting with an automatic weapon in the United States ever. Um, I'm sure, sure Beanzo is going to be all over that one. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, if he can if he can prove me wrong, prove me wrong. That's fine. I'll, I'll eat my <laughs> words. Um, but it's interesting. The ATF says that there are only 182,619 transferable machine guns in the United States. So what that's meant is that the market is very controlled. Um, I saw an anecdote from uh, a blogger uh, talking about an HK sear. This is the little piece of metal that enables automatic fire in HK rifles. Um, this is a 0.25 ounce piece of metal, tiny little thing. $27,000 at auction. Just for the part? Just for the part. Quarter of an ounce piece of metal. God. So, so 
you know, it's easy, but it's not. I'm sure you could go buy uh, an AK-47 or something for $15,000, $20,000. Yeah, yeah, the, you know, just the price of a new car, no biggie. Uh, maybe a Camry. Oh, man, but I... Okay, but I want to be Rambo tomorrow. Like, if you, uh, what about? Uh, let me get a, let me get one of them gun show loopholes. Yeah, can oh. I, can can I, can I just like go to a gun show I, and and buy? I have a real problem with that. Um, what? Well, with the term gun show loophole, because it's really not a gun show loophole at all. I think you say the words gun show loophole, and the average person goes, "Well, so a dealer can just go to a gun show and." sell all the guns he wants and bypass the background system. Yeah. Background right. Check system. Right. No, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, so here's the scoop. Um, the laws, the, the federal firearms act of 1968, these, these all put forth, um, with the federal firearms license, mm-hmm. um, licensing and a process in place for dealers. And, and the word dealer is, is very, uh, very specific, um, and does not apply to a private seller. So I can sell a gun in, in my state anyway, every state has, has different laws here, um, without, without any background check at all. Uh, I could, I could put it on Craigslist and, you know, well, Craigslist doesn't allow guns. Uh, Facebook, we could talk. I could walk into a gun show with a rifle on my shoulder. And if someone says, Hey, that's a nice rifle there. I could say, well, you could have it for 1200 bucks and there's no background check that has to go on at all. But but it's got to be a so not everybody at the gun show can do that. Uh, no, absolutely not. If you're a if you're a dealer, yeah, you have to get a background check. If you are a private seller, oh okay. So you if you've not. got the FFL, then you've got to. That's right. Okay, that's right. Um, and I think I think that calling it the gun show loophole is kind of a straw man argument because I think there's something that needs to be fixed there. I mean, to me. Um, we have to be honest. If we're trying to keep guns out of the hands of, of violent people, out of mentally ill people, then we ought to do it at all levels. And I think many years ago, before the, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System was in place, uh, before 92 or something, it, it took a long time to do a background check. It took three weeks. Right. Um, now that it's instant, I don't see any reason why you couldn't require uh, a background check. I mean, what, you take, you take the gun, you meet the guy at a gun store, Mm-hmm. They call, um, get a yes or a no. They sign off on the paperwork, uh, same way you do with a notary. And in fact, you know, there's notaries everywhere. Why not give notaries the power to instigate a background check? It's a very simple process. There's no crazy information that gets passed between. All they need is your social security number. They make the phone call. They get a yes or a no. They check and, your ID and done deal. And the idea would, and that would be on any and all, on any and all and firearms yeah, purchases. Yeah. And and hell, oh, that's I can get behind. That. Make yeah. it a felony to to not do that. Yeah. Um. Put strict think, penalties in place. I think, and you know, being a child of the Constitution as I am, I think that the problem would be with the federal government doing that because I think you're talking about commerce that is not crossing state lines. Uh huh. Yeah. Intrastate commerce, you say? Right, right. So right. wait, you're telling me that states should enact these laws themselves? Well, I mean, if if we want them, yeah, we should probably get the states to do it. Because here's the thing: if you, you know, without going into a whole riff on the Constitution, I think this is a beautiful place to illustrate the point that we should push our states to. They have the power to regulate this thing to do that, right? And we should not give it 
to the government because once the government takes it, it has it. And you I know? think you'll hear I think you'll hear an argument on one side that says, well, our politicians are all bought off by the NRA and they're supported by the big gun lobby, et cetera, et cetera. Although I'd like to point out that I'm pretty sure most of they've got like they're 55 million individual members strong or something. So the, the yeah. NRA is actually partially in, in great part a citizens lobby group. So yeah. I think they're lobbying on behalf of citizens at some point. So at some point, all you have to do is convince the citizens of your point. Mm. And, and I think it's true, man. Republicans and Democrats both agree and I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure 87% of Republicans were polled and and they supported closing the quote unquote gun show loophole. Yeah, I know. I don't think anybody wants, uh, again, I, I, you know, Jared Loeffner. I don't think anybody wants that guy to be able to go and get a gun on Saturday and then go, you know, out to a strip mall and shoot the place. So up. I just kind of canceled so, yeah. out my, my own point is, but, but it brings up a, a greater point. If, if so many people, if 90% of Democrats and 87% of Republicans support getting this done, then why is it not getting done? Why are we still here having this discussion? Because we're not, because I don't think we're having a, a common, ra- like, for instance, I'm going to, before we got into this, before we researched this show, I had a completely different understanding of what the gun show loophole actually was. And now that I understand what it is, I understand why it exists. Like I said, you know, inter- interstate commerce and, and the constitution. So I get it. Um, but I thought that, you know, as a gun dealer at a gun show, you could just sell guns willy nilly. It turns out that the same loophole that we're talking about that would take place at a gun show could happen in a Walmart parking lot. That's it's, right. It's, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with gun shows. It's about private sellers. So there's this image out there. So now people on the left of this issue are enraged because they think there's entire convention halls full of good old boys just willy-nilly, you know, shipping AKs out the back door. You know what I mean? And so they over, you know, let's say, let's go ahead and put it on them. You know, let's say they overreact. I'm not saying that they threw the first stone here, but for the purpose of this. So now the right's like, well, they want to stop all gun shows and take away our, they hate guns. Right. And nobody ever just calmly sits down and says, hey, do you want the Aurora kid to go you know, go snatch up whatever gun he wants out in the parking lot of this thing. Uh, and this I gun think show that, tonight, you know, I think that points at our, at our last episode, because when you're talking about the gun control narrative, look at who controls the flow of conversation. Um, that harkens straight back to, to the media mm-hmm. and, and really they all say the same thing and none of them are, are telling the truth. Exactly. Well, yeah, no, I think, I think you got a point and it's the, the lobbyist groups as well. Like, you know, the NRA and stuff, they have a vested interest in presenting a reality where they're necessary. And, you know, the same thing with their, the opposing lobbyist groups, you know, they, they right. So the conflict is actually keeping them going in a way. Yeah, absolutely. So they, they want to make it look as dire as possible. And then you just have flat out misinformation, uh, like you did, like with CNN with the bump stocks after Las Vegas. But, but you know what? I, I think we might have discussed bump stocks before. Wait, what, wasn't that a previous reality maybe, somewhere? Maybe in another universe. We we've already talked about bump stocks. Stealth, stealth edit ending in three, two, one. Deep. Let's let's look at a place where the line's being drawn. Uh, because of Las Vegas here recently, there was a lot of talk about bump stocks, <laughs> right? So so here's here's my thought on. Do you bump know stocks. what a bump stock is? I well, I have since somewhat learned what a bump stock is. 
What's what's but, a bump stock? Uh, the bump stock basically, it's my understanding, it fits on the stock of the the rifle and then up to the trigger. And what it does is it uses the rifle's recoil to pull the trigger to make it, uh, you know, uh, uh, to make a semi-automatic weapon automatic. Essentially, yes. Yeah, so yeah, right. so it, it turns a semi-automatic, automatic, it, it turns it somewhat automatic. Yeah, um, it's, but, a, it's a cheap cheap way to make but it. But I'll tell you what, I mean, we're talking about physics here. And the mm-hmm. problem with, <laughs> with physics is that they, they don't play political sides. So a trigger, when you pull it and the rifle fires, that recoil will naturally push away from the trigger right uh-huh. so so in a semi-automatic weapon when you pull the trigger once a bullet fires yeah so you can bump stock just by holding your finger rigid on a trigger and and pushing the rifle forward so what happens is there's this like rebound action that happens now your finger gets pushed off the trigger and you're pulling forward with your with your grip hand mm-hmm. which pulls the trigger again the right. recoil pushes it back you pull forward so that bump stocks make that very easy to do yeah. Um, but the same thing can be done with just two hands. Well, I was gonna say, I think I've even seen that you can like some some rig with like rubber bands. Or sure, something. you could rig it with rubber bands. And granted, okay, I'll be. I mean, to to be flat out, like that's not going to be very accurate. You know. Yeah. You, true. True. And and I think and I think we go back to that point. Like at some point, there is a there there is a deciding line. There's a cutoff factor. Like well, you shouldn't well, what be able I would have say, that. yeah, what I would say is like so if we if we've made it hard to acquire you know uh machine guns right then i don't want us to uh to sell bump stocks legally from from a psychological perspective because it's saying like you know that's that's it's like it's uh we're, we're saying you know oh you can't have these things un- unless you you know but you can't have this to skirt around the law and stuff and that just gets into a thing either we did Here, decide that's it's like a tax loophole to me i understand I don't, I don't and, like and, and there's i think sometimes there are reason for reasons for loopholes and this may be one of them and i i don't write laws you know i'm mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I read bills now and again but but damn it can you imagine how hard it would be to write the bill that that banned bump stocks but not rubber bands because you have to say a device no, that I think, but what attaches to a stock that enables like you're ta- I'm, t- I'm telling yeah. you you're talking about physics here no, you're no, going to no. describe but, but I think I think that's how you do it though I think I think we accept that somebody out there is going to rig up some shit with some rubber bands but you can't manufacture a a, pro- a product right and you can't put it on the shelf as a bump stock you that's know what funny because I, I remember the, having a conversation with you yeah. where you were telling me that the power of advertisement and marketing is maybe not as much as um as i would think it to be but now here you are on the other side saying the power of product and marketing behind a bump stock somehow makes it well no no that's not exactly what i'm saying it has nothing to do with the advertisement what i'm saying is the existence of that product like like for instance when, when a mother you know, has had her child shot. I think it's really hard for us to, you know, look at her and say, well, Hey, we kept automatic weapons off the street and yet we still allowed this thing to be sold. So it undermines our position because it's not consistent. I can get that. Yeah, I can get that. Um, I think it's (laughs) part of me says, wants to, wants to rail against that, that argument and say like, well, if we, if we regulate bump stocks, we're going to regulate, uh, you know, magazines, we're going to regulate calibers. We're going to, re- you know, that that's like, it's just this slippery slope downward to, to all out prohibition. And I, I think when you look at it, like that's the only thing that's going to work. 
Um, I mean, we can take, we can look at, we can look at shootings. We can look at mass shootings um, across the board. Regulation of things like, like bump stocks. I would even say machine guns um, don't, don't work. Well, I, I think, I, I, no, I beg to differ. I think that banning them outright doesn't work. But, but, you know, regulations, no, regulations can work. We've, we can find common sense regulations. And I would point to what you said earlier. Uh, Jared Loeffner wasn't using machine guns. Uh, you know, the guy in, uh, or bump stocks. in, in Aurora, Colorado, wasn't using machine guns. Or you bump know, stocks. And that's because we regulate them. And, yes, you're right. They weren't using bump stocks. What, the bump stocks... Again, to me, that that's more about ideological consistency. Why would we say you can't? You, we're going to make it this hard for you to have this, but no, we're really not going to make it this hard for you to have this. You can just go out and buy this. Okay, you know. So and I mean, like it's that is completely about us. That is a concession. That is a compromise that I am willing to make. Yeah, but but you're right. And in, in as far as I still have a hard line, and my hard line is that right there is automatic weapons. When we get into semi-autos. No, I, yeah, I absolutely want, you know, people to have them and stuff like that. I don't believe in that, that slope that you were talking about with magazine size and all that stuff. The key is having a reasonable conversation right. about what is going to help and what isn't going to help. Well, it's hard to have a reasonable conversation when I think the average person is very unreasonable about the state of violence in America. I think if you ask most people, they think that the chances of them getting mugged when they walk outside their door or their door kicked in is 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 very high. When the truth is, gun gun crime is down, crime violent crime across the board is down. We are living at the most peaceful time in America since 1992. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you say reasonable conversation, but I think there's a very real fear from the right that. People are already unreasonable about it. So how can we expect a reasonable conversation when, when we're not being reasonable as a society, even about how, how big of a problem this is? I mean, for example, 33,000 homicides in the United States a year. Well, no, that's, that's, that's not right. No, the CDC says there are 33,000 gun deaths per year. Uh, 11,000 of those are homicides, 21,000 are suicides, and the difference is made up in, uh, you know, accidental shootings and uh, uh, shooting deaths of an undetermined nature. Okay, so yeah. so 11,000 homicides is even less. Um, that's that's really interesting that you that you bring that up, that discrepancy, because when you have this conversation with people um, and, and people who have, who have looked at the numbers, one side likes to eliminate suicides from the equation. And I happen to be in that camp. I believe that if we're talking about regulation as a means to protect society, um, that's that's the government's job. Right. When the government starts protecting us from ourselves, mm -hmm. I think that that's an overreach. So to me, when we're talking about the weight of of guns on society, I think it's a fair thing to do to remove suicides from that equation yeah. because those are people who have harmed themselves. Um, now, I will say that that one thing that research has proven uh, beyond almost any shadow of a doubt is that access to guns does indeed increase suicides. And I think you even said suicide attempts. Yeah, no, it, it increases the number of attempts. Uh, far more people are uh, you know, willing to... Uh, uh, put a bullet through their head versus going through the trouble of uh, 
hanging themselves or, you know, something, you know, even slitting your wrists, uh, people right. consider, you know, the thought is. And I, and I feel like there's an argument to be made there that that same is probably true for committing crimes. Mm. Uh, although we have, we have measures in place for, for preventing people from going to those actions. You'll, you'll go yeah. to jail. The person who's committing suicide is not worried about the repercussions. Well, I, I just, I think that that is a classic example. I, I, I get, I get what they're saying. You know, the availability of the gun may, uh, increase the likelihood or the, you know, I, I, I get that. But at the same time, that is a classic example of me, to me, of uh, addressing the symptom and not the disease. Like, when you're talking about suicide, a gun, you know, that, that's, ah, that is side to the case. That is, that is over there. The issue is suicide. Why does this guy want to kill himself to begin with? Right. You know, and I mean, like, that's how you attack and address that problem. And maybe... Uh, you know, that's the same thing that we're looking at with crime and other things. I, I think you know? so. And that's and, and my personal belief um, at 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 the the philosophical level anyway, uh, is that crime is rooted in human decision. And it doesn't matter what kind of crime we're talking, assault, abuse, harassment, stalking. Um, when when someone wants to hurt people, they will psychologically mm-hmm. they'll hurt them they'll hurt them physically um so to me if we're re- if we're being honest about the problem and attacking the problem I-, I think we need to look towards ourselves and each other to solve the problems that that create the violence so yeah in in places where where things like gun buybacks have not worked the things that have worked in chicago are are face-to-face people um social programs going yeah. into um, into at-risk areas and and working with youth, yeah. um, anti-gang work. You know, these are these are things that that do work, but yeah. but and for well, some reason they're missing from the national conversation. Well, and and I think the best evidence uh, that they're working though is that we have seen this downward trend in gun crime and and gun violence. You know, over the last however many years, and it's not just us; it's the world. Uh, everyone, and this is, is even after uh, Obama let the assault weapons ban expire, right. which did ban high capacity well, magazines. It's, it's like and- we said, there's 310 million guns in the U.S., and yet we're seeing this trend. Uh, Pew uh, showed that uh, fire the firearm homicide rate was 49 percent lower in 2010 versus 1993. So now I, I have to say though, there are some there are some outliers to that national trend, and we're looking at places like uh, Chicago. Uh, Detroit, St. Louis, Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. There are some places that have this really high spike in in, in gun crime that are uh, completely contrary to the overall national trend. Yeah. But- so I think we got to stop and ask ourselves: Is there is there some something about those places? Uh, maybe uh, po- poverty. Well, I, I think again, it's it's like we were saying that's symptoms versus the disease. So that that strengthens the case. If gun ownership is at an all time high, and, and it is everywhere else, we're seeing this downward trend. So now these places that blip out, like what's the problem? Because whatever's happening there is probably I the see. problem that we need to be addressing. And and we know that you know you, you mentioned Chicago, St. Louis, New Orleans. Um, the cities have often had trouble with poverty. There's, there's whole, you know, culture dynamics at work. There's, there's a whole host of stressors and factors that go into it that have nothing 
nothing to do with guns or the guns, availability or the regulation of right like guns guns can uh you know grease the squeaky re- wheel the same way we were talking about with suicides but it didn't cause it i will say that is unless we manage to take all of the guns away right <laughs> i mean if 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 well, there are zero guns we have zero gun crime problem but do you really think that those people uh, are are gonna not be violent? The violent people, yeah, the, the hundred seven thousand yeah. shootings, or like, or do we even have the ability to eliminate all of the guns? Because oh, that's because we're not we're not even talking <laughs> about. I mean, we we can get rid of these guns, but did we get rid of all of the guns? That's in a that's room the question with for the one gun. Episode. Whoever's got the gun, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that then. But uh, but it's definitely I, I think that's where the conversation has shifted to, and I think it's really. I think it's really like hypocritical and and, and and dishonest for us to to look at guns this way. Let me let me give you an example, okay? Like we said, the CDC says there's eleven thousand gun homicides uh, every year. All right, and we're having this conversation. Well, let me tell you something. There's also ten thousand. I think it's ten thousand six hundred drunk driving accidents, right? Uh, fatalities every year. So well, why? we should we should ban cars. No, 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 not the cars. The alcohol. Why are we not talking about oh, we banning? Should, we should ban alcohol. alcohol because we've done that before. Because we did it and it didn't work, right? <laughs> we've been down that road, my friend. Exactly, but that—that's what I'm saying, though. If, if you honestly, if you're worried about the deaths from guns, why are you not just as worried about alcohol? And I'll tell you why. It's because everybody enjoys alcohol, right? But only, not everyone enjoys. But guns. only 32 percent of the population owns guns. So right. it's it's not okay to do that with alcohol. We we don't even talk about banning alcohol. And I mean, granted, like you said, we'd already done it, but we don't even begin to have that conversation. Oh, we're not Puritans anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like, where exactly. are all the Puritans? But, but there it are is causing sixty-three percent of Americans do not own guns. Yeah, and there we have our Puritans who believe that you know guns aren't a fun thing. They're not for entertainment. They're not for collection. Why would anyone want to shoot a gun? Yeah. Why would anyone want to go to a shooting competition? No one does that. Like yeah. Well, 63% of people have an unfavorable view of guns. Therefore, we have this reaction to go, well, it's okay to take them away. Yeah. When alcohol, there's no there's no protection for getting smashed. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not a sacred thing. It's not part... I mean, okay, it's part of our culture and it's part of our history. It's part yeah. of our mythos. But um, there's there's no specific protections for it written yeah. in... Well, maybe... Uh, pursuit of happiness but. yeah yeah maybe maybe the pursuit <laughs> of happiness but it is every you know like like you said it's it's a good uh it's a good comparison i mean it is every bit a part of us as owning guns are and i think we're looking at something very similar to what brought in prohibition you're right you had people saying why would you want to drink and and drinking simply leads to this and, and drinking does that and drinking does that and here we are again with one segment of the population that just completely doesn't understand something and, and I'll admit, it's it's like I said, I'm one of those people who don't like guns. I don't get it. Right. I don't get the the whole, oh, man, you should feel the weight in your hand. Yeah, you, know? you couldn't point the I don't understand from the, that. From the muzzle from the barrel. Like. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm divesting myself of that and saying, but you do. And you have a right to own something, you know, like that. You know what I mean? You have to, to make that distinction because otherwise, you, you know, if you're just going to, like I said, if you're just going to run around and talk about this, <laughs> there's i mean let's talk about obesity yeah there you go uh what, what three hundred thousand people 
Okay, 300,000 people a year are dying from obesity, so therefore, since I would like to institute a national sugar registry, uh, <laughs> you will have to get a concealed and carry license if you're going to be walking around Hershey's in your pockets. Oreos. Yeah, man, I mean, at some point, you know, like personal responsibility and all these things come into it. Yeah, and I, I think it's funny. I mean, you look at you look at the flu, and, and this is actually a whole other conversation for a whole other episode. Um when it comes to personal responsibility and social responsibility, but 30,000 people die from the flu every year in the United States. And we're not sending people to jail for not using Kleenex when yeah, they, when they yeah. cover their mouths. Or, like, yeah. I mean, and how, how and, deadly is not washing your let's hands? Let's be honest. Man. I mean, this points out to me, this points out the fundamental misunderstanding in the conversation. If you are talking about being concerned with people dying from, from something they ha- have no control over. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to compare the flu to guns. Yeah. Because no one likes the flu. No right. one wants the flu. No one's out there having fun with the flu. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? You don't want to yeah. blow your nose in Kleenex. But let's be honest, man. If 30,000 people die from the flu every year and, and, and 30,000 people are, are killed by guns every year, we have to kind of put those in the same at the same weight. Yeah. yeah. I, I think if we're being intellectually honest. So... While I'm making a joke about putting people in jail for for not using a Kleenex, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's no, it's it's an honest question. Like under that logic, why aren't we? And, and I'll tell you what, it's it's what we just discussed. Um, in so much as people not understanding it, but it's also and this definitely kicks back to last episode and how we were talking about. There's this large downward trend in gun crime, yet none of us feel that way. It's fear. It's, um, you know, I remember uh, when I was a kid and I actually at the time lived in Miami. Miami was the homicide capital of the United States. Uh, I think it was 1990, 1991. Um, Cocaine I also, crime. Uh, about that same time, uh, the movie Predator 2 come out. And if you think about the very beginning of Predator 2, there is an all out war uh, going on between these cops in like L.A., and this gang, like that's how the beginning of Predator 2 starts. Danny Glover, uh, a couple other people there behind these cop cars. And I mean, because there is just, I, it's like World War II or something. I mean, there's just gunfire. Why everywhere. do I not remember that? And so, yeah, no. <laughs> I, it's, I mean, I've seen it. I, I've seen it recently. And it's just like, I, I forgot how absurd it was. And, and, and that's the thing, though, is like, we see all these news stories. We see this stuff in, in media and we think well, the that news this is, is going to run the headline of the person shot. Exactly. Exactly. And well, and also like, uh, you know, it's like we were talking about, they're going to run, uh, you know, like we were talking about with bias, uh, the more fantastic the story, uh, it, the harder it's going to get pushed. So while I'm not saying that Las Vegas is not something that we should be talking about, you know, we I am, we, well, here's what I'm saying. We didn't hear about the guy in the church in Tennessee, you know, that was on page 14 of the New York Times, yet Las Vegas was plastered over everything. Right. For and let weeks. me tell you, there's a, a criminal psychologist, I believe, who has written letters to newspapers over and over saying, begging them, please do not do this list of things when you run the story. Mm-hmm. Do not play, uh, you know, fanciful, exciting music. Yeah. Do not plaster pictures of the mugshots in, in the news store. Has, has a list of things because these are known to incite copycat. Right. Um, incidents and and what does the news do? They do every one of them every time. They tick off the list almost like it's a manual. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so no, I think very much so. Mass shootings and 
and uh, you know even the even the uh, gang shootings or gang violence and stuff and the way it's reported and the way it's portrayed in movies and tv um have us thinking that we live in the most violent era that's right in the history of the world and that is simply not the case and so that informs you know all this asking for for gun policies and regulations and, and it's stuff. funny because i feel like when i when i make this argument to myself when i make this argument to other people that look gun crime or gun i'm sorry gun violence is is not that bad of a problem i i feel scummy about saying that cuz you yeah. got to think about the kids who 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 accidentally shoot their friend in the head like it it yeah. does happen yeah. you know yeah. but kids fall into pools too yeah um i mean there are there is an acceptable level of risk um when you're talking about dealing with a free society yeah and and i think that an acceptable level of risk is is 30,000 homicides? That that seems low to me is all I'm saying. Like, it's 11,000. Oh, I'm sorry. See, I keep messing <laughs> it up. 11,000 homicides. Um, it just seems low to me. And it seems like there's this mass hysteria. And and I'm talking about it like like it's some, you know, mythical thing. But no, there's mass hysteria. And it's because the yeah. media is, is pushing the narrative. Well, and we've had, you know, especially over the last few years, you go back to... Charleston and, and and like I said, even back to Jared Lofner, then this year the congressional baseball shooting, the uh, Las Vegas. Back to Columbine, even. Yeah, yeah, back to Columbine. It is it is slowly ratcheted and ramped up, and again, both sides are so entrenched and so frenzied that now it's this dire uh, conversation where we have to hold on to every inch. We can't give an inch to the other side, and I think that we've got to find that middle ground and I would actually propose uh, that that's what you and I do. How about we come back next week uh, and do a second episode about this topic where we discuss that middle ground and you know, the way forward, like what can we do? What are the actual causes? I think it sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that'll wrap it up for us this week. um, Except obviously we've got to take a moment to let Benzo come through and do what he does Oh, so well. Beanzo, take it away. Hello and welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Beanzo Corrects the Sense and Theory podcast. Now, first off on my list, got sense. He said we should drink some beers and go out to the shooting range. Well, buddy, I'm pretty sure there's not a shooting range in the country where you're encouraged to drink alcohol before you shoot your firearms. That was a joke! Well, then maybe it was also a joke when you said there's never been a mass shooting with an automatic weapon. Called it. Yeah, it's called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre where seven people were gunned down with a Thompson submachine gun. I'd like all you good folks to know that old Beanzo thought he'd made it to the land of milk and honey. It was a bona fide smorgasbord of factual inaccuracies and muddled messages before these two pillars of journalistic integrity decided you could just delete your problems away with some meta jokes and a Wayne's World sound effect. So while I'm sitting here in the unemployment line because of old job stealing sense and theory, I couldn't help but notice the sense can't distinguish between gun deaths and gun homicides. For the third time since... Of the 33,000 gun deaths every year, 21,000 are suicides. Don't worry, though. With that sort of attention to detail, I'm sure those other stats, facts, and figures are all rock solid. Won't get any listener mail on those, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. 
oh man like our show notes are solid right like all our research yeah, was yeah good. man just shake it off shake it off did you just okay but anyway all right uh join us next week uh we're going to continue the discussion on guns and uh you know we're going to talk about regulation is it useful or is it just a band-aid band-aids don't fix bullet holes oh jesus christ Hey folks, it's Theory of the Sense and Theory Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you for continuing to listen and support the show. We really appreciate it. It means the world to us. Uh, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes, leave us a review, uh, like us. Uh, you know, it really helps the podcast uh, take off. And, uh, you know, get at us on the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at all the usual places. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to email us at uh, senseandtheorypodcast at gmail.com. Show ideas, suggestions, critiques, uh, condemnations, it's all good. Send it our way. Uh, We'll see you next week.